We are in Lent, and we are doing again this year a Lenten homily series. This year's work is discipleship, both for what we've been doing and continue to do here in this parish, making disciples, disciple makers, but also what you're going to hear from our bishop at the end of the Mass with the new long-range strategic planning process for our diocese. Please go to our YouTube page, St. Francis de Sales, Newark, and um, for viewing this later or also sharing this with other people. Today, we will consider the kerygma and how the kerygma is an essential element to follow in our own discipleship walk, our own desire to truly become disciples, and also to help others become disciples. The kerygma is about getting back to the basics. Now, don't be fooled by that, getting back to the basics, because you might be thinking to yourself, I'm far more advanced in my Christian walk than the basics. Getting back to the basics is more about getting back to what is most important. So keep that in mind. Kerygma comes from the Greek word kerusa. And kerusa literally means to cry or to proclaim as a herald would. Remember, a herald in ancient times is somebody who goes ahead of a very important person like a king, and he cries out or proclaims the king's coming to the people, or the herald gives a very important message from the king. This is what we need to get back to as Christians, both in receiving the faith of Jesus and giving the faith of Jesus to others. We need to become people who are once again open to receiving the heralded good news from the most important person in our lives and simultaneously people who are once again open to giving, heralding the most important person and his message to other people. Here's the problem. For many of us as Christians, both sitting in the pews, those viewing live stream, and those who are long departed our pews in our faith, we have stopped being able to receive the most important message of the most important person in the world. We've stopped being open to it. And we've stopped being open to giving this person and his message to other people. There are, to be sure, several factors that have contributed to this problem, which would take up a whole other series of homilies to describe. Suffice it to say here and now, if your Christian faith and your relationship with Jesus and his church is going to survive, let alone like it's supposed to be over the decades of our lives, be able in a demonstrable and a felt and lived way to grow, to mature, and to spread into other people's lives, not just your own children. And if those around us who are not with us today, for any number of reasons, are going to realize eternal life, let alone meaning and purpose and joy in their life, and if your children are going to actually practice their faith as adults or come back to the practice of their faith, we all must get back to what is most important. It doesn't matter if you think 
you are a super Catholic or a barely hanging on Catholic, whether you are traditional or contemporary, a lifelong Christian or relatively new at following Christ or recently returned to the practice of your faith. We all need to get back to the basics, to what is most important. For our own sakes, and for the sakes of our families, our friends, our parish, our community, our schools, just about everyone in our lives and our nation and the state that we find it in needs us as Christians to get back to what is most important. We see something of what it looks like to get back to the basics by looking at today's gospel reading from Mark 9 the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain before Peter, James, and John. In this event, the lives of these three disciples are forever changed by getting an experience of what is most important, the true identity and mission of Jesus Christ. In short, they have an encounter with Jesus, who he really is. And this then stays with them for the rest of their lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And then here's the, the part that's so important. Then, then, in everything they do, all the people they meet, the obstacles and challenges they encounter as Christians, the distractions and fears, the frustrations they run into, their hopes, their dreams, and the daily grind of human living, all gets transformed by the reality of Jesus' glory. And his purpose in the world and in their lives. In fact, this event leads to many other events in their lives that further strengthens and grows their faith and emboldens them to go out into the world and proclaim Jesus as his heralds. They prepare the hearts and minds of a multitude of people for Jesus, who is the most important person in the world. And keep this in mind, too. Keep in mind the, the, the landscape of the ancient world for Christians, these, these newly minted Christians like Peter, James, and John. Think about Peter and, 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 and Paul who ended up in Rome. Rome, where Nero would take the Christians and he would impale them or put them up on Christ, crosses like Christ, and he would douse them with oil and set them on flame at night so that the streets could have light by the burning bodies of Christians. And we live in a world where our politics have gone mad. And because we are, it's crazy out there, we're thinking to myself, I'm just going to shut my mouth because every time I open my mouth about my faith, I get pounced on. Well, look at the earliest Christians, and look at us who are not even willing to talk to our own family members about Christ anymore. What does getting back then to sanity, to what it means to be a Christian today, getting back to what's most important for us, look like for us as Christians today? Well, this is where the kerygma comes into play. Or the charismatic message. If we want to become authentic disciples, rather than just pew-sitters all of our lives, and truly effective disciple-makers, there are some 
there are seven essential components of the kerygma. Now, the, the kerygma is found all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and particularly in one book called the Acts of the Apostles. There are several chapters that just show you clearly these seven essential elements of the kerygma. And I could go into, spend two or three homilies just going to those references and describing them. But again, suffice it to say that for today, just remember that the Acts of the Apostles are all about the early church the earliest Christians after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it offers us a blueprint of what Christ intended for us, how to live our life as disciples and teach others the ways of disciples, no matter the age, because the word of God is timeless. Here's what we all need to get back to, both in our own lives and the sharing of this most important message to other people. First, God loves you and has a plan for your life. You don't have to spend your life going out and getting your validation and your worth from other people and coming up with a plan for yourself. You don't have to do that. Thank God. Yes, God the Father loves you and he seeks you. The ache in your heart, that longing, that yearning, that never satisfied quality in your desires, all point to God, who has written his name in your hearts. He wants to turn you away from a passing and unsatisfying world towards him. He wants to save you and prepare you to live with him for all of eternity. He wants to fill the God-sized hole in your heart and its infinite longing with his infinite love. The more you believe this and live this, the more this most important message and the person behind it, Jesus Christ, will actually change your life. And then you'll notice that sitting in the pews for 20, 30, 40 years and still being the same Christian no matter your age right now, you will begin to change. You won't remain the same. And the more then you'll be capable of effectively communicating the divine person and his message to other human persons. Number two, sin will destroy you. Nothing is so destructive in your life and this world as sin. It is desire gone wrong. And it is rooted in the lie that the creature, rather than the creator, can give you what you need. That you, me as the creature, can give me or you what it is that you need and more than what God can offer you. That is a lie. Cultivating sin will put you in bondage to the sin and desires gone mad, which will never be satisfied. Satan indeed is lying to us and saying that rebellion from the God who made you will bring happiness to you. Translated, do what you want rather than what he wants and you will be happy. That is a lie. You will not. And you know this already as Christians, up and down your lives, right? Indulging sin does not offer you a sustainable satisfaction. A quick pleasure, yes, but nothing sustainable. 
and the world cannot assuage you, for it is finite, and everything it offers is finite, and you were made for the infinite. Sin does not bring lasting happiness, it brings bondage, addictions, dissatisfaction, disappointment, spiritual death, the slow fade of a spiritual death, so you don't even recognize it, and then eventually eternal death. The world is not talking about sin anymore. In fact, as we well know, it doesn't even believe in sin anymore. In fact, in our secular society today, our nation's leaders and our media are crafting laws and creating a culture that makes some of the most serious sins that God himself has called serious sins not only okay for humanity, but legal, with legal protections. Likewise, they are telling people of faith that they must abide by these laws while simultaneously stripping away our religious freedom to reject them and the freedom of our conscience to follow our own values as formed by Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Yet, the more we are honest about the reality of sin and its destructive nature, its broken promises, the more we will become free in Jesus Christ no matter the laws, as Peter and Paul from heaven is shouting down to us right now from their own lives. They knew it. They had freedom, even though the laws came against them. And the more that we're able then to convince others to turn away from sin and turn away from the only God who has the ability to truly fulfill us, the only one who really delivers on his promises. Number three, Jesus died to save you and all of your loved ones. Into this mess of our wayward desires and our foolish grasping at worldly trinkets, Jesus came. He met the woman at the well, who is us, and told her that everyone who drinks from this well, the world, will be thirsty again. And indeed, we are thirsty again, over and over In other words, the world cannot satiate or save us. We must reject the lies of this world so we can live free in God. When we allow the full impact of this most important message that only Jesus can save us, save us from our sins, save us from ourselves, from others, from death itself, the more we will want to live for him, And all that he offers. And the more we'll be motivated to share this most basic and necessary truth. For our families and to our families, friends. And so many others that God will then place in our path. Number four. Repent and believe in the gospel. To repent, we know, means to change one's mind. Repentance isn't just a one and done It's an ongoing effort to allow the Lord to change our minds. The ways we think, the ways we love, the ways we live. And not to the diminishment of our desires and dreams, but to their fulfillment. For only God can fulfill the deepest needs. And it is from them that the deepest desires come. But when we don't know that and don't know what to do with that, 
then those beautiful desires become disordered desires. This ongoing conversion is what helps us to really, truly, sincerely become convinced in our belief in the most important person in our lives and his most important message. It is also in allowing Jesus to change us that will help us to reach out to others. And over time, with patience, with love, bring them to Christ, who will offer them the same freedom, hope, love, and mission of salvation. Be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Then live in the reality of the Holy Spirit. Most of us have been baptized. It's time we start accessing and activating the power that is available to us through our baptism. It is time to switch on the nuclear power plant that lies within us. It's got a name. He's got a name. It's called the Holy Spirit. When we give the Holy Spirit the permission to come online and alive within us, then the Holy Spirit will not only light up our own lives from within, filling us with love and serenity, joy and forbearance, wisdom, peace, confidence, boldness, strength, and a host of other powers, the Holy Spirit will also send us to other people. And like a power plant, we will bring them the power that is of this world and in this world and beyond this world. Number six, abide in Christ through his body, the church. How do we remain in a fulfilling relationship with Jesus? Remember that we are sons and daughters of a heavenly father and keep the power of the Holy Spirit alive within us, let alone share it with all those other people that we know. By not being alone. You know, the very name of, of Satan, of devil, Diablos, means the scatterer. He will do anything to convince you not to be a part of any community, let alone God's community. And so we abide with Christ through his body, the church. Literally, Jesus designed the church to perpetuate this purpose. To keep us connected to him through his body and the communion of his body through holy communion with his body. He calls us to commune with his body every Sabbath, every Sunday. Yes, the bishops of the U.S. have dispensed us temporarily from the Sunday obligation due to COVID. But if we are out there or our loved ones are out there and around other people and connecting and communing with them out there from day to day, then shouldn't we be in here every weekend communing with the most important person in our lives and through him with one another? Furthermore, as we commune with Jesus through his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, we are also deeply connected to all of the other members of the body who are also communing with that same body at the same time. The folks sitting next to you, in front of you, around you. And the community of the saints who come down at every Mass and worship Christ and adore Him 
in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Eucharist, just as they do in heaven. And it keeps us connected to our Holy Father on earth, the vicar of Christ, and the bishops, the successors to the apostles, priests, deacons, married couples, other families, every individual who is also abiding in Christ through his church. This isn't just about membership or registration or a butt in the pew for years of our lives. This is mystical. And this is the way of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we learn this from the very first disciples like Peter, James, and John in today's gospel reading. This is how we connect with Christ. And this is how then we grow and mature and then spread the faith to others. Not alone. How many times have we heard people who used to sit in our pews and say, I'm not religious anymore. I'm spiritual. You're alone. And this is not the way God designed it for us as Christians. This is the way the devil designed it. Now we're called to come together on a common community, a common mission to become disciples and to make disciples and to make other disciple makers and then to change the world, not become the world. And then finally, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And so the cycle repeats. The rhythm of life continues. The journey is perpetuated and disciples are multiplied. When we get back to what is most important, living it and then sharing with others, this most important message is this. God loves you. Sin separates you from this love and the life that you desire. But Jesus can save you. If you're willing to change your minds about this world and believe and live the message of the gospel and abide in Christ with a community of believers, you are not alone and you will never be alone again as God calls you in deeper union with himself and calls you to deeper friendship with others and the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the world. This is the kerygma. It was there at the beginning, like in the Acts of the Apostles. It's the way the church was guided by the Holy Spirit for centuries. It's the way Christians lived their everyday lives all the way up to the 20th century, the late 20th century, when we abandoned it. We abandoned it as individuals, as families, as schools, and as parishes. We abandoned it. And it's time to get back to it. To get back to what is most important. Think of our lives as Christians. I want to give you this illustration. Think of our lives as Christians in terms of a battery. The purpose of a battery is to transfer stored energy into something else. When a battery goes flat, it serves no functional purpose unless it can be recharged from another power source to be used over and over again. Well, isn't this supposed to be... the our lives as Christians? Throughout our lives, we need to plug into God. If we don't, we will lose our charge, and not only will our lives, our own lives go flat, we will never be able to bring the power into the lives of other people. The power. However, if we plug in 
Pay attention to this. Day after day, not an hour out of 168 hours of the week. Day after day into the power of God. That not only will we have all the power that we will need to light up our own lives, we will be able also to give a continual source of power, a renewable source of power to the ones we love the most and to so many others that God loves too, but needs you to remain plugged into him so that he can send us out day by day, charged with his power and his mission to bring life to our world, to bring life to our loved ones, to our parish, to our schools, to this community, to a world gone mad that needs to remember what is most important.